From TMP to TTNG For sure the cure and those tired meme jeans Hella Kinsella and the promise ring Sunny day real estate and rights this spring Prince Twinkle Daddy's help keep the dream alive I constantly thank God for Algernon and Remo Christie front drive. Mineral snowing high tide hotel here and more. Rio Limo only consists of the DC emotive hardcore. episode 51 of the e-word we're taking a detour into hardcore today this is the hardcore guide for twinkle dorks episode this is kyle recording here in madison over there in austin texas is my friend ellie ellie how you doing um so there's two events this morning that kind of shaped i think how i'm doing today uh the first is before i took a shower uh my left pinky toenail just kind of like fell off like it was like (laughs) hanging by a thread and it, I just kind of like pulled it off. And yesterday, like my shoes were bugging my feet so bad and I couldn't figure out why. And I guess this was why. Um, so that's probably not good. And then to add insult to injury, uh, one of my old tweets got retweeted by two furry accounts. Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like stalked their profiles to figure out why. And I guess they've been like really into the phrase diaper music lately. And... I made a tweet like a year ago that said, Mr. Bungle is wretched, awful diaper music for theater nerds and weeaboos. And so that was the tweet. They just like searched that on Twitter. And now I am associated with furries and I can't think of any. Gr- I would rather be associated with neo-Nazis than furries. That's for real. Yeah. <laughs> Good God. Well, we invited a guest who is more than qualified for the job to get Twinkle Dorks into hardcore, and that is Greg Gordon. Greg, yo, what, what's up, Fort Wayne? Yep, Fort Wayne, Indiana. It's it's not it's not a well known place. There's no specific facts you need to know about this geographic region of the country. It's pretty much a wasteland, a forgotten relic of the Rust Belt. Um, but you know, Fort Wayne's the second largest city in Indiana. So I guess we have that going for us. You're, you are the second guest on the podcast that, that that's from Fort Wayne. Uh, uh, who else did you have on? Corey, Corey Purvis. Purvis, right? Oh, okay. I could, I could have guessed that. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I've known Corey for a long time. Um, so I guess we start this episode with why are we doing this episode? Well, don't we want to plug oh, some yeah, yeah, great yeah, shit? Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Sorry. Uh, just put out a new kill surf city, right? I did, yeah. Is this this is the part where I list my bona fides? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I just so I do a solo project 
called Killser City, and uh, there's no there's no way for me to actually describe it musically because every release I've done has been different sonically. Uh, it's a solo project that has a, a full a full band live incarnation, but I record everything myself at home. Uh, the most recent seven inch is like a mix between French Oi, the Buzzcocks, and like first wave West Coast hardcore which um, sounds incredibly weird on paper, but I think I think I managed to execute it in a way that, that feels cohesive and works. So I put that out on Blind Rage Records. Um, and yeah, that's my that's my most that's my most recent thing. But uh, if you're familiar with the Twitter meme that that happened to me last year, um, <laughs> I'm the seven bands, one girlfriend person. Uh, so I'm in a lot of different musical projects at the same time. Uh, but that, that is the one that is most recently released something. But of course you have the like podcast that. demo. Listen. I, yes. And then I also have the podcast, right? I do, I do a podcast called demo listen, which essentially we just listen to punk hardcore and anything adjacent so we've had plenty of emo bands on there too alternative bands metal bands uh just bands that people submit to us and then myself and my friend nathan uh just honestly react to what we hear we give our sometimes unsolicited because it's not always bands that send it in but sometimes solicited advice and feedback on things yeah and it's it's been doing pretty well we've we've been doing it since like september of last year and uh kids seem to enjoy it so i imagine we're going to keep doing it for the foreseeable future if you like if you like music criticism that isn't actually music criticism that doesn't make any sort of value judgments about the stuff that we hear for the most part you you might like demo listen it's worth worth giving a giving a try at least yeah i remember very specifically listening to an episode and y'all were like clowning on a madison emo band and i was like i wonder if kyle's gonna hear this yo i was i like just brought up you compared the sad madison emo band to uh uh, neo-nazism <laughs> oh shit <laughs> what's uh what band was it middle-aged overdose oh that's they, right it, yeah it was like a six minute song about being dumped yeah 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 i i've i very i very much remember that song i uh one of the people from that band became an internet friend of mine after that and uh <laughs> And took it in stride really well, which is it's that's really the energy we encourage. Like, I think we've been compared to the Statler and Waldorf of hardcore. Um, (laughs) But like, you know, essentially we do it because we really, really like music. It's really the only it's one of the only things that Nate and I genuinely enjoy. And in a way that could even be remotely construed as sort of just like eager naivete, like we just genuinely really enjoy music. Um, So by and large, we try to encourage people to continue playing music and to support stuff that we don't that we don't like. So when people hear us kind of clowning them and then take it in stride, it's always a good feeling just because. It's like awesome. Like the spirit of the podcast is not lost in this person. And I've actually made some pretty some pretty cool internet friends via bands that I've clowned who have hit me up and been like, yo, that was incredibly funny. So Yeah, that happens less often with us. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really weird. You mean people are like sensitive in this circle? <laughs> yeah. I the one exception is when I like uh on the Twitter feed I ask people to just send me like any band and I would roast them and that was pretty successful. I think people got that. But the only band I can recall that I like made fun of and then we became homies is uh, Guitar Fight for Fully Cooley. 
Okay, I'm not familiar with that, but I'm I'm also uh, well outside the realm of of contemporary Twinkle Dork emo, so that's not surprising. Uh, you know what? Uh, I envy you. <laughs> it, it's easy. It's easy to do. <laughs> you, I mean, you have a podcast kind of dedicated to the whole thing, so I, I, at least from an outside perspective, it doesn't seem like you're trying super hard to to remove yourself. No, no, because at the end of the day, I all all, all my mocking comes from like a, a deep seated affection for this whole thing. Yes, exactly. I'm I'm very much the same way with stuff that I enjoy for sure, and that's that's why like the friendships that I have forged through the podcast are cool, just because it's really nice when I can relate to somebody with that uh, on that point, and like people understand that. Like, like my affection for punk and hardcore is at the core of this this entire exercise so and you know ironically um in reflecting on like the sensitivity of the emo community actually the most sensitive individuals that i've come across via the podcast are what you could class as the sonic opposite of twinkly emo and that is like the hyper tough hyper aggressive hardcore bands Mm -hmm. are by and large uh, the most sensitive individuals that I've come across in the, in the course of doing the podcast who are almost always extremely upset when we uh, yeah. hurl some criticism their way. Yeah. One time I wrote an article about uh, how deathcore kind of evolved out of like 90s hardcore. Mm-hmm. And this this guy like stalked me all over Reddit and he was very mad because I didn't talk in depth about the early 90s like Castle Heights scene. Uh, <laughs> and he was... <laughs> He was like, "What a what a fake ass bitch ass faggot pussy motherfucker," and <laughs> doxed me on his like weird beat down Facebook page. Oh, um, that's so sick. That's so. I sick. know. I, I know. At the time, I was like, "It's weird that people can dox me," but now I like actively encourage it. So hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's cool. I love that. That's that's some good energy to come with. All right. So Kyle, you said you wanted. Uh, so we're going to do, why are we doing this episode? Then we're going to talk about our bona fides and then we're going to dive right in. Yeah. All right. Sick. Yeah. So take two, why are we doing this episode? My voice is, I'm losing my voice. Um, I think we've talked about this, like basically this entire year. So hardcore stock is essentially, is essentially going up while Emos is dipping. The low ceiling of Twinkle shattered like a couple years ago. We're getting sick of it. And I think like there's no better time to get into hardcore than now and i guess doing a podcast interview or a podcast episode for people to uh you know try and get into hardcore through being a twinkle dork is a good idea yeah and i just uh i do want people to genuinely know that this comes from no actual love for hardcore this is a completely calculated business move um, <laughs> hardcore famously lucrative yes <laughs> We're we're in it for the money, obviously. To paraphrase, set your goals. Right. <laughs> Do you two both agree that like emo is on its way out, or maybe just kind of uh, falling to the wayside while hardcore is reaching its a little bit of a, a resurgence? Um. Yeah, I think you can find like the seeds of the situation happening, um, because Code Orange like abandoned Adventures to focus on Code Orange. And I think without Code Orange, you don't have like this uh, this modern era that we're in of like almost mainstream hardcore, like Vein and Knocked Loose. Like I, I think without Code Orange, you like lose a lot of the uh, 
the barriers being brought down between the hardcore scene and the broader heavy music scene. And I think because of that, more people are getting into hardcore now than they are getting into emo, which has become very insular. And uh, I don't want to say necessarily elitist, but there's definitely a sense that like if you say the wrong thing, you get kind of like booted or or shamed. And hardcore has a little bit less of that uptightness. Um, generally speaking, I think it's less that emo is falling to the wayside and more that emo kids are also getting into hardcore. Like, mm-hmm. And there's like this kind of intermingling of the scenes, which ultimately I think is going to be good for both of them. I will say that this episode is a guide to hardcore and getting into hardcore from a twinkle dorks perspective like we're gonna miss things and that's gonna basically be on purpose because we're trying to get the emo leaning people into it yeah like uh i know gray you were probably thinking like oh we're gonna (laughs) twinkle dorks are gonna be mad at you for being on this podcast but i think my biggest fear is that like some 34 year old dms dude is gonna call us bitches for not mentioning like dinosaur hardcore bands like we didn't talk about war zones don't forget the struggle don't forget the streets for three hours so we're fake you know (laughs) right yeah yeah no for sure um i mean by and large these are people that deserve nothing more than to be completely ignored and forgotten um so you know i wouldn't i wouldn't concern myself too too much with that um you know i think you made an interesting point about the code orange thing I, i think they are very much sort of the great unifier um there may be the and and i I don't know we can maybe get more in depth on this comparison later on but there may be adjacent to what like a converge would have been they're kind of an Mm. an, an, an analogous to that in the sense that they're bringing in such a broad range of different types of people that are attracted to heavy music in general uh, not necessarily just the iteration of heavy music that is specifically hardcore yeah, I think there's. I think that's. They definitely paved the way for some crossover there. I think that's probably not something that I've considered in depth before. But as soon as you articulated that, it, it made a lot of sense to me for sure. Yeah, to me, the nearest parallel is like the early two thousands, like ferret trust kill type stuff. Sure. Yeah, I mm-hmm. could see that as well. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we all know how that went really well. <laughs> uh, I still love eighteen visions. More power to you. Okay. So what is everyone's experience with hardcore, a.k.a. How, how are you qualified to talk about this? I will say that I am not qualified to talk about this, but I am qualified to lead this. Kind of like in our Scram special episode, I was basically asking Ellie and the crew to teach me how to get into Screamo. I mean, I basically listened to the mainstream to like about Triple B Records level uh, depth of contemporary stuff, and I've listened to the stuff that I'm supposed to listen to, but I'm no way like... The level that I listen to emo is not the level I listen to hardcore. Right. Gray? Um, well, my bona fides are, you know, I have a hate breed face tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, you know, you would be hard-pressed to find someone more qualified to speak on the subject. Uh, in all seriousness, my so my dad was into punk and hardcore in the 80s. Um, so... I have the the rare ability to boast that I was in fact born listening to hardcore. Um, <laughs> it's it's really it's like the coveted golden goose. It's the prize that all hardcore kids wish they could possess, and I actually have it. 
Um, so, you know, that said, I was raised in a house where punk, hardcore, and alternative music were sort of the norm. And then around 12, I started actively going to shows in my area and sort of rediscovering the music collection of my dad. And uh, the, my, my gateway into contemporary hardcore was like 77 punk. So OG British 77 punk. So the Sex Pistols and basic stuff like that. And then that graduated into Oi like Blitz and things of that nature and buzzcocks and then eventually i found youth crew and it was just all downhill from there so uh so you know i I guess actively i've been into hardcore as sort of a scene or a community since i was like 12 years old so in scene years that makes me like 60 years old so (laughs) so yeah Uh, those are my qualifications and that and i've played in a lot of hardcore bands i've been booking hardcore shows since i was like 17 so oh yeah um i also started getting into the scene in earnest around like 12 years old started going to like more local shows around 13 um i blade brown often characterizes me as like a a hardcore kid stuck doing an emo podcast Mm -hmm. um and i've always i've always like thought it was weird that uh despite me coming up mostly listening to like hardcore and hip-hop but also like being very into emo like almost as like a side thing that people like associate uh much my persona with emo and i think that's just because like uh my my writing started getting recognized more when i started writing about emo but i've been going to shows for like about 11 years now um and i write a lot for no echo and generally speaking i probably have like less cred than someone who has actually played in a band but uh the internet has been uh, a huge stepping stone in me just like getting connected with people and bands that I admire and I think I actually met Gray through the Axe to Grind Facebook group RIP so indeed yeah RIP yeah um why why did it go away I think Bob just like got sick of modding it Uh, yeah (laughs) yep I guess Um, that explains why it just like went away from my feed yeah I'd like to blame it entirely on Martin Joseph Rue though (laughs) (laughs) oh man yo that i i won't i won't go into any details there i will i will say um you know i almost feel bad for that dude because he's been at this point so universally lambasted martin if you're listening to this i hope you're doing well brother no hard feelings yeah uh, i don't i don't think he does because like he does not like me like on a very personal level so (laughs) (laughs) well like that dude is like almost 50 years old and listens to chunk no captain chunk so i I think we can we can hastily disregard his opinion on you yeah that's uh i think that's like honestly my biggest uh piece of hardcore credit is that a lot of like old hardcore dudes like hate my guts so (laughs) um i i just i would like to add really quick too that i for anybody listening to this who might think, you know, uh, why why is dude with the aforementioned hate breed face tattoo coming on the emo podcast and what way is there any connection there? I will have you know, I have emo qualifications for sure. You know, I was at one point, uh, my name, I was mentioned by name in the Wikipedia entry for uh, the emo revival. Um, I've, <laughs> I've made it my personal mission to seek out the individual who went out of their way to remove me from that and make their life a living hell. Um, but you know, I put out, I put out a record on, on no sleep. Oh, yeah. I put out a couple records on no sleep. Uh, I recorded my full length with Ben who does the project kind of like spitting, um, who is like 
a classic, amazing, overlooked Northwest uh, emo band from the 90s and early aughts. You know, I'm I'm friends with Bob from Braid. I have emo qualifications for sure. Um, speaking of which, Tom Tom Mullen, uh, Tom Mullen from Washed Up Emo told me to tell you all what's up. Hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, he's uh, one of our very first guests. Um, used to be in our DMs all the time, but we've fallen off. Maybe we should have Tom back on. Yeah, he, he, he texted me last night uh, just sort of making a joke that it was insane that another emo podcast had me on before he managed to get me on. Oof. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, those are our qualifications. Um, feel free to uh, talk shit and tell us that we have no business poking our noses into this business. But I'm actually really stoked. Let's, yeah. uh, let's dive in. At this very moment... How are you seeing hardcore interacting with emo or emo in- interacting with hardcore? Um, personally, I see the Twinkle Dorks giving hardcore a shot. Definitely the Dorks. Uh, they are definitely into and riding for bands like Knock Loose, Vane, Sea Space Cowboy. It's it's like universally happening. Um, but I, I personally don't see it the other way. Like hardcore kids like being like, yo, Stars Hollow fucking rules. Uh, but like locally, I do see like the mixed bill, and also there was the turnstile and the turnover co-headline tour. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You can go ahead. Um, I was just gonna say I definitely see that it's like uh, like as far as like the modern stuff goes, it's more of like a one-sided love affair. Like uh, that band Khaki Cuffs has a track called "I'm Fairly Certain That Frankie from No Option Hates Me," um, which <laughs> is really like uh, it's uh, emblematic of the dynamic between the two scenes going on right now but uh definitely the the hardcore dudes are into like 90s emo there's always like love for like texas is the reason and jawbreaker and stuff like that yeah i think largely there's always been the phenomenon of sort of scene approved emo bands um that you are quote unquote allowed to like socially um and i don't think that's any different now uh but by and large i do think that yes it is a phenomenon where emo kids quote you know graduate to hardcore at some point um Mm. they i I don't know if you know i think social media is the great equalizer in many instances and the two scenes have had more opportunity to interact at large than ever before um so i think that for better or for worse whether or not this is accurate or not is highly debatable but i think that the hardcore scene is um is viewed as having some degree of legitimacy or credibility that maybe certain sex uh, subsects of emo don't have. And when emo kids get a little bit older, through just the process of socializing with hardcore kids, they tend to gravitate towards that. I think that there's a mix of social incentivizing and maybe, you know, emo music just gets boring to people. I think there are a lot of factors that play into it, but I think both of you are correct in saying that it's a bit of a one-sided love affair for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's completely correct cuz I definitely see a lot less of like what happened with me where I got into emo through hardcore than the other way right. around. Right. Yeah, cuz that's that's exactly what happened to me too. You know, I I discovered Rights of Spring and Embrace and all that kind of stuff and it opened the door to Braid and the promise ring and all and all that so yeah well, do you think that people just grow out of emo and naturally grow into hardcore well i think that hardcore has a more universal appeal in the sense that it's not angsty in the same hard on your sleeve way that a lot of emo can come across and 
you know, even myself, when I go back and listen to records that were incredibly impactful for me when I was 19, they don't resonate in the same way that negative approach still resonates. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I still have a contempt for the outside world. I still have a a deep seated contempt for the institutions that I feel oppress people. And that's a through line in a lot of hardcore, uh, at least thematically, whereas emo being sort of, uh, self-indulgent in its level of introspection, I think that just it loses it, it loses its appeal to anybody who develops any degree of emotional maturity. Like I I can still go back and listen to Seisha and fucking love Seisha, but I don't identify with Seisha anymore. I don't identify with I hate myself anymore. As much as I love those records sonically. I don't listen to them and find myself feeling moved by anything besides the nostalgia that I have associated with them. Whereas, again, I can listen to the song Nothing by Negative Approach and it makes me feel the same rage and indignation that I felt when I heard it for the first time when I was 14, you know? Yeah, and to kind of build off that uh, in two directions. One, I definitely noticed that uh, the bands that have currency, the hardcore bands that have currency in the emo scene, like, for example, CU Space Cowboy, uh, appeal to like a very like ooh demographic for lack of a better term <laughs> yeah um, you know kids who pre the death of tumblr would have been very very tumblr in addition to that i think that the emo stuff that does hold up and is still relatable is actually like the extremely uncredible pop realm of emo like i think i think it's much easier to like especially for like older hardcore kids to go back and listen to like uh, motion city soundtracks, early records and be like, Oh, I definitely see what these lyrics are talking about. Uh, then listening to, like you said, like Seisha or I hate myself. Um, I don't have any personal experience with that. Um, just because that was a realm of emo that never interested me. Um, but I can see how that would make sense for sure. Hell yeah. Yeah. The next question to get us into this is if you like emo do you have to like hardcore should you like hardcore is it strongly suggested that you should like hardcore if you like emo i like this was a big question when we were talking about screamo and we and we basically said you should like screamo if you like emo in my opinion i don't think you have to like hardcore but i think you should at least try and understand it you should at least know how emo comes from hardcore i think some of the best things about emo are clearly similar with hardcore the catharsis the community the diy nature of it etc i'm not a cop you know so i'm not (laughs) going to tell you you have to do anything um but uh it's certainly worth your time it's worth investigating if it's not something that has i i think it's easy to be put off by the social politics of hardcore especially with the worst parts of those being on display for everybody to see via twitter (laughs) But speaking broadly, that's really the most minute part of the thing. And as you get older, it becomes less and less important. So if hardcore has seemed in the past sonically appealing to you and you've been put off by it, the thing I would tell you is uh, to really not pay attention to what ultimately is an incredibly small portion of bad actors within the broader hardcore community. You know, don't let that deter you from checking it out because also, contrary to popular belief, you can be into this stuff completely alone. You, you're going to encounter a lot of rhetoric about unity 
and uh, the importance of the scene and community. And the older I've gotten, the less those ideas are really important to me in application. They're still important to me in theory. Um, ideologically speaking, I vibe with them and I get their importance to a younger audience especially. But you can get into hardcore totally by yourself. So d I guess that would be my advice for an emo kid who's looking to get into hardcore is please ignore the social politics. Please don't be put off by the constant proverbial dick measuring that occurs. <laughs> if you like it musically, just dive in. You know, nobody's going to be asking you your top five favorite bands at the door. And if there are people like that, I assure, I assure you they are passers through. They are going to be gone in the time span of less than five years anyway. So don't sweat it. So no, you do not have to be into hardcore, but I would encourage at least giving it a shot. Yeah, I think both of you uh, hit the nail on the fucking head there. Uh, nothing to add particularly. <laughs> I guess maybe we should talk about like specifically online are there any good online hardcore communities like i think people should on our hardcore as much as they should on our emo is that true uh yeah our hardcore uh i think has different problems from our emo it's the it's a it's the same level of not necessarily toxicity but like irritation um mm -hmm. but it's it definitely comes in like different directions where on our emo you have like a lot of like personality policing on our hardcore you have a lot more of like a uh, musical policing i generally speaking internet hardcore communities uh tend to be like fairly localized which is a a, a trait that goes like all the way back to like the beginning of hardcore being discussed on the internet like alt.hardcore bridge nine alt board yeah, the B9 um, or like like the Ottawa Punk Board um, and stuff like that. What was the other? PAHardcore.com, I think mm -hmm. it was what it was called. Yeah. But I, with Facebook, it, I think it's a lot easier to like uh, find like a, like a local page for your local bands. And really, I think if you are going to get into hardcore uh, and you have some sort of vested interest in being a part of a quote unquote scene, getting into the local stuff is the way to go. Yeah, I think I think walking through the local door first is a is a good option, but it do, it does come with a, a certain degree of baggage because again, you know, especially on local level scenes, you have personality types and characters that are that ca that can be incredibly off-putting for somebody who's just begun their voyage into this world. So like on one hand, I would encourage that if you're a person with thicker skin, because there is a lot of hazing and a lot of just general headassery and fuckery that comes along with any sort of community-based discussion about hardcore. So if you're not thick-skinned, maybe a solo voyage, maybe like a hardcore mentorship program is the route for you, where you, 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 can, you can seek out a, a luminary of your local scene who you trust to not be a complete shithead and help put you onto stuff. Or, you know, I mean, truly, you have the internet at your literal fingertips, so you have access to an infinite well of knowledge. You have the library of Alexandria of hardcore at your disposal at all times. Um, so, you know, again, I would just say, if you don't feel encouraged to participate in the community, don't feel as if that's a necessary facet of getting into the genre. You can definitely do research on your own, but if you feel, uh, yeah, if you feel inclined to to participate, there are plenty of Facebook groups that you can get involved in. You know, if you search hard enough, even the smallest communities probably have local shows going on. So, mm -hmm. both of you two are probably adding uh, hardcore mentorship to your Patreons. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. One hundred percent. 
I really like what you said about like a journeymanship or a internship of hardcore. Um, because while I agree that you can get a lot of the information just from the internet, it's kind of similar to hip hop. Uh, I think hardcore is uh, a culture that has much more like a strong oral tradition. Mm -hmm. um, so like the stories and the characters and just kind of the general history of the scene uh, is something that the knowledge comes with being involved with the people. So you can like be on the internet and be able to like suss out like whether this band is a power violence or just a spazzy grindcore, but you're not going to get like some of the more colorful meat of the scene without uh, talking to people. Yeah, that's very true for sure. This is a fuzzy question. We know that emo core exists, but are there any other examples of quote unquote emo sounding hardcore? Is that just post hardcore? And I thought on this for a while and like, I think like touche is an emo sounding hardcore band, but have been, but from the get go have, have, have just been called fake hardcore, fake screamo. What do you think? Well, I think that so much of a, so much of whether or not a band is classed as hardcore depends largely upon their social associations. Um, because to be frank, a lot of this music sonically, I mean, it's they're all kissing cousins. You know, you can you can hear elements of one subgenre in the other many, many times. I mean, I've joked frequently, for example, that like like depressive black metal is basically just screamo, right? Like literally sonically, it's basically just screamo. It's it's subject matter wise, it's screamo. There are so many things about depressive black metal that are essentially screamo. The only real difference are the social politics and the aesthetic. So I think the, the exact same thing can apply broadly when you're talking about emo and hardcore. So a band like Touche Amore, I think, is a great example of a band that sort of just treads this middle line where I, I think ultimately they're just an aggressive band. Whether you choose to throw them in with hardcore or emo, screamo, is really up to personal preference and personal experience. But largely from the get-go, I think they were associated with the hardcore scene because of their personal associations and because of the people that rode for them. So, you know, that's a sticky question. I think sonically, you you do have bands, melodic hardcore bands, I guess you could say, that mm. maybe would that share some sonic similarities with emo. I mean, like Modern Life is War comes to mind. Mm. Um, in the sense that they're incredibly anthemic, you know, they have like a strong sense of melody lyrically. There's a strong narrative through line. Um, I think there are a lot of qualities that would appeal to emo kids. So, yeah, I mean, I think there is emo sounding hardcore, but how you actually classify that is is highly subjective. Yeah, I think a lot of that is resonant. I actually did. I wrote an essay once upon a time about uh, how depressive suicidal black metal and screamo. Uh, more people should listen to both if they like one. Um, but I I agree with what you said about the associations being like a stronger part of what scene someone is a part of rather than like the musical qualities. And this is, I think, more of a general rule in hardcore. It's definitely not true like universally, but generally speaking, once a hardcore kid, always a hardcore kid. And hardcore kids are like going to ride for like hardcore dudes doing non-hardcore things. And by the same token, there's also like a, a lot of bands who are broadly accepted in all of the scenes. Uh, uh, the example that I put in our notes is Sam I Am. Sure, yeah, yeah. 
and also the early screamo leaning stuff like the the proto screamo scene like mm-hmm. Honeywell and Reach Out or Swing Kids or Portraits of Past uh kind of like the Bay Area and San Diego uh right yeah that scenes. yeah that gravity record scene yeah 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 <laughs> No, for sure. I agree with that entirely. I mean, again, yeah, it's so much, so much of this shit is just uh, social politics and, and things of that nature, which, you know, there are, it's that, that has its upsides and uh, its obvious downsides for sure. Yeah. So if you're trying to get into hardcore, maybe think of our twinkle dorks in mind. Uh, where should you start? Do you need to start at the beginning? Do you think that they're just going to throw that in the trash and be like, this sounds like shit. I need something that sounds more glossy. Um, you know, I think the best place to start with hardcore is always in the moment because something that I, you know, because Ellie, you talked about how hardcore has a strong oral tradition and for better or for worse, there are, I mean, hardcore is a, is a community in which there is a strong hierarchy as much as people want to, as, as much as hardcore ideologically eschews that approach, um, it exists. I mean, when hardcore's been around since arguably the late 70s um at least since 1980 so any sort of community that's been a lo- around that long is going to have sort of skeletal relics of society at large it's just going to be a microcosm of your macro society so there are hierarchies and there is seniority and there are oral traditions but then there are also more sort of rigid mores and taboos that people adhere to within the context of that scene. And I think a lot of that can obscure the fact that the most important part of hardcore is like youthful energy and being of the now. So because we get so caught up on sort of tradition and the importance of this backwards facing knowledge of one's like quote unquote roots, it's really easy to forget that like 17, 18, 19 year olds are always the people who are driving the culture forward. And the current moment is always the most important moment, really, because without that sort of forward momentum and without that youthful energy, none of this, this is just jazz. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's no longer vital. It just becomes, it becomes rote. It just becomes the recitation of, you know, several decades of tradition, which is antithetical to the entire spirit of what hardcore and punk is supposed to be so sorry to wax intellectual on 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 that subject matter but no i i don't think starting from the beginning is the way to go i think it's it is it does at some point become important to understand those roots and those traditions and to go back and check out those bands but i think the current moment is always the best place to start yeah i agree um especially because I think there is like a definite attitude among like the 15 to 17 year olds who are forming the next wave of what emo is going to be. There is this sense of like, oh, I'm really, really into the modern stuff and uh, the older stuff leaves me cold, whether it's like just because it sounds dusty or because like it doesn't feel relevant to what's going on right now, even though you can like trace the influences in a in a material tangible way so i i completely agree that the best place to start is where you are right now but i i think there is also something to be said for knowing your roots i'm always going to be in favor of people uh having like a working knowledge of the history Mm -hmm. um you know you can make all sorts of arguments about like when hardcore started exactly like some people say it's the middle class some people say it's Black Flag Nervous Breakdown, even though I think that uh, they didn't really get hardcore until Jealous again. 
But the band that I think shares the most DNA with all hardcore of every generation and is absolutely vital for everyone to know is Bad Brains. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. Well, actually, to Bad Brains and Negative Approach personally right yes yeah yeah no i mean if if, yeah you can you can draw a straight line from negative approach to almost every iteration of hardcore that has come since Mm -hmm. both those bands i think like actually kind of invented the modern form of the breakdown which i i was just about to bring that up yep 100 percent. yeah like if you listen to like like the 90s new york death metal bands who kind of like codified what the breakdown would eventually become like suffocation Mm -hmm. uh the the influences are New York hardcore, which is directly just Bad Brains worship. Yeah, one hundred percent agreed with that on on in in every every respect. Hell yeah, I got a gold star. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, hard, hardcore hardcore dude approved. Um, I'll just say with like getting into bands, like one genre of music has so many subgenres now that it's almost like for my personal experience of getting into certain things, it's like finding what you like and staying in that lane, and then kind of uh digging around is like how i've been getting into stuff because like there there are kids listening that are probably just gonna be into melodic hardcore like that's fine because there's so many melodic hardcore bands and like it's just kind of like finding what you like and there's a fuck ton of bands just within that one sound yeah that's very true um so let's just get to the classics and say like i was just curious if there are classic records that you think a twinkle dork specifically would like um, so I think post cows and beer Kreutzen is a, is a real good starting place. Um, I definitely think that kids should check out the <laughs> DC hardcore band scream who had a, a long and storied career. Um, I think another DC hardcore band, Jay Robbins era government issue, like the, the late eighties stuff they were doing, which was kind of more, um, more melodic, more leaning into jangle pop, but still had like kind of a hardcore bite is going to be pretty accessible, especially to people who are into, say, the Smiths. Articles of Faith, for sure. Uh, the Squirrel Bait, self-titled EP. Uh, Husker Du's Metal Circus, which is a perfect, violent, messy hardcore record with like a beating heart of melody and emotion. And lastly, uh, The Honor Roll, who are a pretty obscure Richmond uh, kind of hardcore band that were among the first to incorporate post-punk influences and uh their guitarist pen rollins uh in particular became a huge influence on the guitar work of drive like jehu uh who correlatively became a huge influence on the guitar work of almost every emo and post-hardcore band that came after them yeah for sure Uh, i think that's that's a pretty good uh, comprehensive list i agree with most of those i would contend that i think even some of the earlier um sort of mid-80s government issue stuff has a lot to offer um like i think even joyride has moments that a contemporary twinkle dork might find enjoyable like the second track on that lp understand um Mm. You know, that fuck that song still today gives me chills, um, but is absolutely teeming with melody and song structure that would later become way more standard in um, in, you know, post hardcore emo and things of that nature. I think you hit on most of the the major ones. I would also contend that Dag Nasty is a good jumping in point. Um, Yeah, I was wondering about putting dag nasty in there because there are some people who actually consider uh dag nasty emo core from the get-go um yeah i i can see the other argument mainly because uh dave smalley is xdys uh 
Brian Baker is obviously like a very punk hardcore luminary. Definitely like the guitar work on Circles is uh, formative for sure. And just the the vocal work all over, especially on Values here. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I, I would I would not necessarily throw Dag Nasty in with the emo core thing just because they, to me, are a distinct entity. Um, they don't have, I mean, they do have introspective lyrics, especially once you move past can i say and get into like wig out at danko is even more so um but it's not the same hard on your sleeve quality dag nasty also was definitely like going for it they were out there like trying to play shows they were not they didn't have the political bent of the revolution summer bands if despite what brian baker says now if you go back and read zine interviews and if you just read the lyrics you know they had lyrics about being straight edge and shit um yeah you know, they had lyrics about not drinking and like at the time, Dave Smalley was still very straight edge, had a big old X true till death tattoo on his arm that he proudly displayed. I think to me, Dag Nasty was also always sort of like squarely in that melodic hardcore lane. Um, and for my money, I do think if we're talking about records that would appeal specifically to, to emo kids, Wig Out at Danko's might be a better entry point than Can I Say. Um, Can I Say is arguably a better record, but... Peter Kortner's vocals on We Got It Danko's are maybe more appealing to the emo kid than Dave Smalley's vocals. And you even have an acoustic song in the form of, uh, shit, what's the, well, When I Move on We Got It Danko's mm, that mm-hmm. definitely foretold, you know, for better or for worse, the acoustic trend of emo. Being an ex acoustic singer songwriter myself, I just want to say I'm sorry for contributing to that legacy. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think I think Dagnasty is a really good jumping in point, and then there are there are other records in there too. I think especially the DC scene has a lot to offer. You could find sonic and thematic through lines even in a band like The Faith, which a lot of people would argue is sort of proto emo core. Um, yeah, or a marginal man for sure. sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then you know, if you're talking about like you you mentioned honor roll incorporating elements of post punk music. Early on, you know, the umbrella of hardcore was a lot wider and it encompassed sort of the broad range of American punk bands that were doing something that was outside the realm of just sort of traditional meat and potatoes punk rock. So you got bands on like the This Is Boston, Not LA comp. You you had bands like the Proletariat who strictly speaking – you know, strictly speaking now, they would not probably be considered a hardcore band if they came out today. They would be playing shows with bands like Institute, probably. You know, this would be a band that's on Dias Records or something like that. But like in the at the time, the hardcore was really the only scene that could account for what they were doing. Um, and they later went on to do records after just the, the, the appearance on uh, This Is Boston, Not L.A. that leaned even further into the post-punk stuff. But they were you know, largely playing in hardcore communities and hardcore spaces. So I think the proletariat is definitely worth looking into as well. It's just sort of like just the, the stabbing angular guitars, um, the sort of tinny production, the, well, I mean, now there's also like a strong leftist undercurrent in a lot of emo and that's definitely present in the proletariat's music. Um, so I think there's a lot, a lot that could potentially appeal to emo kids in that band too. Yeah. The proletariat is a really good shout, especially like if you're into like gang of four totally. or, yeah. or the slits or the raincoats, like they yep. sound like a very like colder, a bit more mean-spirited version of Gang of Four, for sure. Yeah, yep, for sure. I, I did want to put on the table, like, some obvious hardcore bands from the 80s, like Bad Brains, Minor Threat, Black Flag. Like, do you think there's any... Do you think there's anything for them to latch onto? 
Uh, Black Flag's depression. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Um, well, and also if you if you like if you like sonically challenging emo, I, I think even like sort of later era Black Flag could have a lot to offer offer you, um, just because they would go off on these seven minute musical tangents. Yeah. Um, Side Right. Exactly. I mean, if you like. If you like sort of obscure 90s, long-winded emo stuff, um, if you like – well, I was just talking in the Demolition Facebook group earlier about the Lincoln and Hoover split. Ooh, um, yeah. Which is classic. So I don't know. If you, if you like emo of, of that uh, particular ilk, you, you might find something to like in the jammier, the jammier reaches of the Black Flag catalog for sure. That said, I, I don't know – Process of weeding out, yeah. Sure, right. And like loose not even. But um, – I, I don't necessarily know that there's that it's not crucial that you start at that point, even though those are broadly considered the roots of the genre. Like we kind of touched on earlier, I don't know necessarily that it's essential to start with that because, you know, don't feel beholden to the chronology of hardcore. Um, just jump in wherever feels comfortable for you. Yeah, I think the kids who are into like the more groovy math oriented stuff, this might be like a weird comparison, but I think they might actually have like find a lot to like in like eye against eye and the quickness era bad brains for um, sure i think just like the spazzy guitar stuff of the classic bad brain stuff is appealing yeah I, I mean yo if you're into that kind of stuff you might even find something to love in in like minutemen yeah you know yeah it's it's not it's not inconceivable i'm giving I, i'm putting a lot of faith in the emo listenership right now but <laughs> I, I, I so badly want to see the best in you, so please don't let me down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there's always been a pop-punk to hardcore connection, and I was thinking if you like the pop-punk-leaning emo, like Modern Baseball, Joyce Manor, Tiger's Shaw, uh, who should you listen to uh, contemporarily and classically? Like I think Gorilla Biscuits is pretty obvious, um, Kid Dynamite, and then there's the whole route of Turning Point, which is now just anxious and one step closer right yeah for sure um i think lifetime as well i would contend that that maybe the lifetime comeback record is actually their best record um, <laughs> it's really yeah, good that, it's that would put me that would definitely put me at odds with uh, a lot of old heads even though i'm 30 and probably now considered an old head but uh but yeah all the entire lifetime ca- catalog is to be celebrated and they are kind of in my opinion they're almost di- directly responsible for the at least the the 90s moving forward uh direct association with po- between pop punk and hardcore they birthed saves the day so saves the day are like the the bastard children of lifetime and they certainly heralded the pop punk crossover of the early aughts and for that matter you know if you've never listened to the first saves the day record can't slow down it's well oh, worth so it's well worth checking out and like the the hardcore lineage is very clear to detect um i mean at that point they were literally a lifetime worship band mm-hmm. um i i think the bands that you mentioned um gorilla biscuits obviously as far as contemporary jumping in points i was going to bring up one step closer and anxious shout out to those kids they are absolute real ones I think Millspec is maybe a good place to oh, jump in yeah, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A really, really strong melodic sensibility with that band. I especially like the seven inch uh, changes and uh, praise and give too. You know, I get we're we're spending a lot of time in the sort of DC, Baltimore, greater sort of capital area, but there's always been a strong t- tradition of excellent melodic 
hardcore from that area and contemporary times are no exception to that so yeah i would say praise and give i mean while definitely not sharing a lineage with pop punk they just have a certain melodic sensibility that i think would be appealing to people who are already into bands you mentioned like joyce manor or tiger's jaw it's more conceivable for me to see somebody like that getting into praise than getting into uh never into game you know yeah yeah on the on the praise and give tip definitely also like fury yeah, yeah, for sure. Or even like some of the newer stuff like Magnitude. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to shout out Half Heart here because Pop Punk Kids like generally already love Half Heart because the cover of that album looks exactly like the cover of uh, the first the, the Academy Is album. Um, <laughs> uh, building off Gorilla Biscuits, uh, if you like like the catchier moments of the Gorilla Biscuits catalog, you have to check out Civ. Oh yeah, um, totally, totally. Uh, I said anxious. Uh, un- under the radar era grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just like bands who toured with pop punk bands like Terror, Rotting Out, bands that like share a lot of members with pop punk bands like Strong Arm ended up having like uh, a connection to Further Seems Forever, who obviously uh, birthed Dashboard Confessional, Zayo, uh, who are led by Brett Natar, who was a guitarist on the best uh uh, the Juliana Theory is led by Brett Dittar, who uh, was the guitarist on one of the best Zayo albums. Yeah. Uh, Shai Halud, obviously. Yep. Um, and the the Fallout Boy uh, hardcore stuff like Arm Angelus and uh, Race Trader, uh, Kill the Slave Master. Uh, the Killing Tree, uh, who ended up uh, uh, becoming Rise Against. Just like a lot, a lot of that, like uh, Chicago stuff, especially. I'm I'm just gonna go on record here and say that you can skip Arma Angelus. Oh, okay, yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a good not a good band in retrospect, but I I strongly I strongly uh, recommend Race Trader for sure. Oh, I saw Race Trader live last year and amazing, like incredible live band. Yeah. Yeah, they are a, a truly fucking. A, uh, I'm glad that they're getting their moment in the sun because I think they were largely unheralded uh, outside of sort of strictly speaking metallic '90s hardcore circles. Uh, and there, it seems like the last few years they've been getting a lot of shine in a broader sense, and it's been very good to see. Fuck yeah! All right. So what I think a lot of people like about emo is that even though it's sad and melancholic, it's also catchy. So. I think a good way to get some of these catchy people that need a melody to get into music is what is codified as melodic hardcore. I was reading around and seeing if like people actually use this term still, but like when I was getting into this stuff online, I think melodic hardcore was something that was specifically tacked onto the bands that sounded like Shy Halud. Yeah, for sure. I think it's. I, I mean, I think it's still pretty widely used. Um, now, a lot of melodic core, hardcore is derided and thrown into the amazing core uh, genre. Yeah. yeah. Which is again initially concocted as a term of derision. Um, to paraphrase, I think Axtergrind's explanation of how that term uh, arose initially was that it was bands like American Nightmare around the turn of the century were often lauded as quote amazing by overly eager young people on internet hardcore boards. 
And so bands of their ilk and bands that sort of came in the wave of American Nightmare, which could broadly be classed as melodic hardcore, were termed by its detractors as amazing core. Um, but yeah, I think I think melodic hardcore is still a pretty apt genre description and you still have plenty of bands that fall within that realm. Like we already mentioned one step closer. I think that they firmly fall within the realm of melodic hardcore. Um, and it is, you know, it can be seen in certain circles as a, as a dirty word, but I think when, uh, applied just as strictly as a genre tag, it accurately describes a lot of really good bands. You know, I already big up to, um, modern life is war. We just talked about have heart. I think, you know, all of those fall squarely in the melodic, uh, hardcore, hardcore world and our great bands or even like sinking ships or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. go, go it alone too. For my list, I put modern life is war defeater, who I think is going to be a, like an easy one for people to get into specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, counterparts i think are considered melodic hardcore but like they're i feel like counterparts has always been like hardcore specifically for like pop punk kids yeah so so counterparts is actually literally a direct ripoff of a local fort wayne band and they will <laughs> oh, and they, they <laughs> like i mean and literally they they will they will 100 percent cop to that um anytime they play in indiana they shout out this fort wayne area band so um it's interesting you bring them up yeah my friends my friend's band saints never surrender they were a band that formed around the turn of, a little after the turn of the century and then kind of got big uh, in the mid to late aughts with a record called Brutus that, uh, yeah, I mean, if you it just, I would encourage anybody in the sound of my voice who likes counterparts, go listen to the record Brutus by Saints Never Surrender. It is absolutely fucking uncanny. Like they lift riffs directly from <laughs> Brutus, but yes, I think you're correct in, in, in your assessment about counterparts. I mean, I would, yeah, there. I, I I would say being generous, I would give them the melodic hardcore genre tag. I they might be veering into metalcore, but you know I won't nitpick. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was gonna shout out a lot of like bands that I think now are kind of seen as like the B tier of the Modern Life Is War type stuff, but they were very very big when I was uh, when I was getting into hardcore stuff like Killing the Dream, Ruiner, mm-hmm. Sinking Ships, The Effort, to a lesser extent Casey Jones. Uh, edging into more modern stuff, uh, I think Hesitation Wounds is a uh, is really good, mm, yeah. uh, an easy jumping point because Jeremy's in Touche Amore, uh, Super Unison, R.I.P., and uh, a newer band in this style that I really really enjoy, Sunstroke. Oh yeah, Sunstroke's great. Uh, Ian Ian who plays in that band is a homie, really really good band. I've mentioned Praise, Give, bands like that. If you dig that shit, uh, definitely check out Sunstroke. Yes. Yeah, also, really. I, I was just going to say this is probably the first time that Casey Jones has been mentioned in name on a podcast within the last decade. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess, they were they were a big fucking deal when I was coming up, but Yeah, that's because of their asso- off. That's because of their association with that god awful band Evergreen Terrace. Oh, oh. oh yes, yes. And they were also like over the top theatrically straight edge. Um I used to have a Casey Jones shirt which is embarrassing to admit, but uh, I had a Casey Jones shirt that was a buff hardcore dude who had a another dude in like a, re- a, a terrified looking man in a rear choke who was about to shoot up heroin, but was dropping the syringe 
as this, <laughs> as this hardcore thug choked him out. And then it just said Casey Jones straight edge. And then in big, big, bold letters beneath the dude who was about to use drugs said, uh, you are nothing. Fuck. Jesus Christ. It's the, one of the most deeply embarrassing pieces of merch ever printed. But yo, shout out. Shout out to Casey Jones for really doing it. Also, a little bit of trivia about the effort is uh, if it weren't for the effort, then uh, Man Overboard's Defend Pop Punk shirt would never exist. So, fuck, direct- so fuck the effort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, because that, that shirt was a direct uh, parody of the efforts shirt, which was the exact same design, except it said destroy pop punk. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I wanted to squeeze in here, like, what what sonically makes something melodic hardcore like is it just they're like catchier more anthemic or is like are they generally kind of softer do you think i don't know necessarily if softer with would would be an accurate tag to throw on that um although the hardest of the hard hardcore dudes would certainly have you believe that yeah um there, there's plenty of melodic hardcore that has incredibly uh, you know, I mean, that has an incredible forward mo- momentum energy wise. I mean, like early American Nightmare, uh, you know, is as moshable as as any floor punch stuff, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, I think it's I think overall it's it's right in the it's right in the genre tag, right? Like, yeah. it's just a, a stronger um, inclination to explore melody and more overtly, you know. Um, I also generally think that not not always, but sometimes there's like more of like a trebly guitar tone and uh, lots of like fast paced parts that lead into uh, very impassioned sing alongs um, mm-hmm. and sing alongs generally come with like the slowdown. But the drum patterns are also like uh, a bit more quicker and light. Yeah, I could see that for yeah. sure. All right, I teed this one up with absolutely no idea where where this would go, but I wrote this question as a quote from someone who I thought would ask. Uh, okay, but I like emo because it's sad. Does sad hardcore exist? Oh, does it? Does it ever? Hardcore is a sad fucking genre. I think actually, it just uh, channels the sadness through like rage rather than like woe is me type. Mm-hmm posturing but definitely like the boston tortured artist scene like we've already shouted out american nightmare but also like hope conspiracy uh to a lesser extent suicide file 90s hardcore bands with emotive vocals and lyrics uh damnation ad split lip endpoint guilt threadbare falling forward by the grace of god unbroken Mm -hmm. especially unbroken holy shit yeah yeah Um, for sure and there's a lot of like heavy hardcore bands with just like miserable regret filled lyrics uh, often tagged regret core stuff like harm's way or death threat or uh vod vision of disorders lyrics have some of the most fucking sad undertones i've ever heard uh, outside of like life of agony um and then a hardcore j sludge bands 16 dystopia cavity and early power violence is just fucking suicidal meth heads uh mm-hmm. a la no comment and despise you yep yeah no for sure so uh hard- hardcore is has a strong and long tradition of sad sacks fronting bands i think especially 90s new york hardcore has a really weird sad undercurrent that doesn't get spoken about a lot but like crown of thorns has tons of really sad lyrics like I, you know, I think the second song on Mentally Vexed is Lovesick, and it's 
literally just you, you know you left me you left me cold hearted you left me in the dark i needed someone special to ignite the spark like that that's the refrain of that fucking song you know uh, it, it's the undercurrent of 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 sadness in new york hardcore uh, 90s new york hardcore especially is a very weird under discussed thing you got you have bands that were sort of adjacent to that scene too regionally not New York hardcore, but some New Jer- Jersey stuff, some Boston stuff. I mean, Ellie already mentioned like VOD and Life of Agony and shit that was all from the region as well and definitely had some uh, introspective and self-degrading lyrics. But you even get bands like that are more commonly associated with tough dudes and tough scenes have incredibly sad lyrics, like even Blood for Blood. Like... <laughs> I think Blood for Blood is like, dude, those guys hated their lives yeah. like so, so much. And you listen to those lyrics like, yeah, you have songs about like like Paper Gangster and, and things like that that sort of epitomize the tough guy posturing that takes place in scenes of that nature. But you have probably a lot more lyrical content when you actually delve into their discographies that deal with like self-hatred, suicidal ideation, um, sort of like the common everyday struggle thread that underlines a lot of contemporary emo music and you have bands like you know sheer terror half of sheer terror's catalog are like broken-hearted love songs for a more contemporary entry point i would say blacklisted is a really good place to jump in if you're looking for, for sure. hardcore with emotional resonance um you know i would argue that blacklisted has sort of superseded the hardcore genre tag at this point um you know i don't know strictly speaking if i would call no one deserves to be here more than me a a hardcore record but it's certainly informed by the genre but even before that you george's lyrics are filled to the brim with introspective contemplation so yeah but but again i would really recommend checking out some of that 90s new york hardcore stuff and the adjacent bands to that because you're gonna find a lot of a lot of sadness there that you wouldn't expect and i think the juxtaposition sonically uh and lyrically actually creates a really interesting dynamic that um is often overlooked in critical analysis of that period of hardcore yeah i mean yeah like what are some of the best examples of like sad hardcore lyrics and that match it sonically the aforementioned blacklisted record i would say no one deserves to be here more than me i mean if you want a a good jumping end point that's as good a place as any there are uh a lot of they they draw sonically a lot from um grunge stuff on that record but again it's clearly in the lineage of hardcore and the somber tone of that record is felt in the production and the lyricism and the delivery it's it's a really good place to jump in also fuck even like the title track from um when people grow people go oh totally yes yeah just filled with misery um kind of building off like the uh new york adjacent bands uh ocean city new jersey tim singer uh all of those bands no escape and dead guy oh my god yeah (laughs) you want to trace dead guy back to rorschach also like just absolute miserable self-loathing lyrics (laughs) yeah man i mean tim singer was like you know if you listen to fixation on the co-worker like tim tim singer was going through some shit and a lot of that i mean a lot of that stuff was very very explicitly autobiographical in the sense that you know one of the songs on that record is about his mother recovering from alcoholism and going through a 12-step program and like his animosity towards that and like it's man there's uh, we we could do an entire podcast just on 
you know, uh, sad introspection, um, within, within hardcore lyricism for sure. But there's, there's plenty, plenty to, plenty to seek out for sure. This is, these are just a few jumping in points. Um, I can't believe I didn't think of this band until just now, but neglect. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> like the, I believe they literally like have a song that's just called kill yourself. Yeah. <laughs> negative hate filled lyrics. Um, and I think that's actually also impressive for the time because, uh, the neglect vocalist was like singer of harm's way level, like jacked too. For sure. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think we should talk about like two thousands hardcore bands. Cause I think a ton of these bands are just very accessible and I'm talking about like bridge nine death wish era stuff. We've already mentioned have heart, but basically one of the biggest bands of, hardcore ever at this point uh but american nightmare we've shouted out ceremony i think are like a very very easy entry point and i think like a lot of it's just because like their lyrics are very upfront and also i mean they aren't sad they're just very relatable and angsty depending on upon what era of ceremony you listen to i guess uh but Mm -hmm. then like blacklisted and then foundation i think is another big one that's easy to get into and also just a big band yeah, Ceremony is a real good pick. Uh, actually, one of the very first records I ever got into that was like contemporary to me getting into hardcore was Ceremony's Ruined EP, uh, which has some real fucking sad lyrics. Uh, mm-hmm. The the last song on that EP that's like, uh, I got problems, I'm a fucked up kid. I, I, I found problems, I'm alone again. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think emo kids could jam with that for sure. Also, I think Dangers is a really good entry point. Um, Al Brown has may, is maybe one of like the most talented hardcore lyricists of all time. Certainly one of my favorites. Uh, Punch, Cold World, No Warning is very accessible. Uh, the Blacklisted spinoff band Rain Supreme is very accessible. Trash Talk, obviously, they got big in like the the noisy Vice core scene. Yeah. Um, Brace War, Trapped Under Ice, uh, Cruel Hand, especially like middle era Cruel Hand where they were becoming more like hard rock Metallica, but had like very upset lyrics about not being able to change your past um, mm-hmm. and Bitter End, of course. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you already mentioned the accessibility is sort of the key unifying tenet of so much of that b9 hardcore Uh, and it it was definitely an era where hardcore was reaching kids that it wasn't reaching prior it was not an early incarnation of the internet but it was still early ish um in the sense that social media was still in its nascency um so you were starting to catch entirely new demographics that may not have ever had access to that music prior um and a lot of the bands were sort of tailor-made to catch the attention of those kids you know i think a band like carry on is a really good example too i mean y'all touched on a a lot of the the core bands of that community but i think carry on we would be remiss if we didn't mention carry on you know if you want to talk about about a band that sort of encompasses the broad scope of melodic hardcore and distills it into the most efficient delivery of that particular subsect of hardcore that you could ever concoct Uh, i think carry on is is really the flag bearer for that title unbelievably catchy songwriting anthemic still still an appreciation for 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 brevity they get in and they get out the songs don't overstay their welcome plenty of parts parts to mosh too if that's your thing there are 
anthemic sing-alongs. Um, they're fast. I mean, yeah, Carry On is is a really, really good entry point for anybody looking to get into hardcore of that era for sure. The hardest kids still put an X by their names. That's right, man. I, <laughs> I tend to not feel any sort of I, – I tend to not – get emotional when i when i hear corny straight edge lyrics but holy shit man when i hear that song i still get so fucking amped (laughs) hell yeah um i slid this in right before we started recording but like it's specifically youth crew what do you think about accessibility with that and emo kids Um, ellie you can go first on this if you want to well so uh gray made a really excellent point like with everything that he said about carry on. Um, and I think that applies to like a lot of like the youth crew revival stuff of the late nineties, early two thousands betrayed as well. Uh, yeah. Yep. Or count me out. <laughs> I, I was about to say, but that got me canceled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it, I, but it is what it is. I mean, that's an incredibly accessible band. That was a huge gateway for me getting into contemporary hardcore. Yeah, um, maybe less so like the stuff that was more openly jockey, like uh, Ten Yard Fight or Floor Punch. Right. Um, but that stuff is definitely still catchy, and I think that was like uh, an era of youth crew that was drawing especially hard from more from like Gorilla Biscuits rather than say like Judge or Bold. Yeah. Um, now there's like a whole other youth crew revival happening today which Fernando from Commander Salamander is very into, like, modern youth crew stuff. Um, so I, I definitely see, like, emo kids being able to get into it. So I, I, I say this in the least disparaging way I can to both demographics represented in this comment, uh, but I could see youth crew be a, being appealing to emo kids because it is equally... Uh, infantile <laughs> yes. yes you know what i mean in in it's i guess it's in its worst incarnations right and again please keep in mind that i say this with great affection for for both genres i i am a man who uh has a youth of today tattoo and came very close to having a tummy rocker that says uh there is no happy here so i again <laughs> i have great affection for both genres in question um so in that sense, I could see it being appealing, but you already sort of touched on the the jockier reaches of that subgenre uh, could be incredibly alienating. So you're probably not going to want to jump in with floor punch or ten yard fight. But then on the you know on the other end of the spectrum, something like in my eyes, which was closely associated with those bands uh, in terms of the scene that they were a part of and regionally and all that you might find a lot to love in, in, in a band like in my eyes. Um, that said, I think that initial wave of youth crew stuff, save maybe gorilla biscuits, um, would probably not be incredibly appealing just because I think with a lack of understanding regarding the context that those bands arose, a lot of the aesthetic and lyricism and just like, I don't know, the social posturing that sort of accompanied the scenes associated with those bands could come off as like weirdly conservative to a kid who has been reared in a scene that's largely like incredibly left leaning. And I mean, it's really it's it's no great leap to go from like to go from youth crew to being a weirdo conservative. Like I'm lucky in the sense that I got into sort of radical politics at the same time that I got into that stuff. But I definitely have friends who are, are, are not so lucky and who later 
went graduated from being sort of like weird youth crew straight edge kids to like being into Jordan Peterson. So, you know, what I mean? <laughs> like the, the leap, the leap is not that, that vast a fucking chasm to clear if you just take a few missteps on the path. So I would say maybe avoid, avoid the jockier, uh, incarnations of, of youth crew but yeah some of that sort of a youth crew adjacent stuff i'll say like with carry on or betrayed and shit like that you could find a lot to love in that for sure yeah um and also if you are into american nightmare it's actually not a huge jump from american nightmare to 10 yard fight i believe uh vocalist of american nightmare wes was a 10 yard fight roadie um, yeah you also might want to check into uh, the. This is definitely a C tier '90s youth crew revival band, but um, the band Atari. They mm. act, they mm-hmm. actually went on to start, and we're actually in it uh, at this. They were in this this band at the same time. They were in Atari as well, but they uh, those members formed the band the Jazz June, um, which in my oh, opinion yeah. is one of the most criminally unheralded uh, '90s early 2000s emo bands. And uh, shout out, shout out to to the homie Brian Gasler from the Jazz June. If you're if you're listening to this, yeah, I knew they were in a hardcore band, but I forgot which one it was. Yep, they were in the Youth Crew band Atari. Huh. Um, also, you might be into the music, or you might just think it's good for a laugh. But check out Fast Break. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love Fast Break so much. I yeah, I actually do dig them, but it's, uh, there's definitely like some corny elements to their song. Oh. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's super, super corny. It's very of a moment for sure. Yeah. All right, it's time. What about some heavy bands? I said, is there even a chance that emo kids get into Converge? Because I feel like even getting into Converge takes a guide to get into. Um, I actually do think there is like a huge window for emo kids to get into converge if you read interviews with like jay or kurt um there is like uh a lot of influence on converge from like heroin um in their earlier stuff mm-hmm. uh yeah the song albatross on petitioning the empty sky ends with like a christy front drive like twinkly breakdown yeah <laughs> totally um, also if you're into like off the wall like math stuff like the later eras of converge where they started getting more proggy yeah. uh, would probably appeal to you Sadness Comes Home has like that uber noodly main riff, uh, which is not a far cry from like the math rock band Sanus. Yeah, no, I think honestly, like there are few bands that would be more immediately accessible to emo kids uh, than Converge, you know, as far as bands that that fall under the broad hardcore umbrella. Um, there's there is a lot of sonic similarities between certain eras of Converge and Screamo, to be quite yep. frank. Yep. Uh, Jay's lyrics are very depressive, uh, very hard on sleeve. Uh, and Kurt also produced a shit ton of Screamo records. Like, he produced an Orchid record. He produced uh, Seeing Means More Than Safety by Jerome's Dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the one-two punch that opens up You Fail Me, um, First Light and Last Light, holy shit. It's... Yeah. it's it's hard to find uh i mean even jacob bannon's vocal delivery on that right like he has his sort of signature 
vulture-ish squawk, but then he also <laughs> has, he occasionally lapses into like very screamo adjacent uh, sort of shouty spoken word passages that, I mean, you can draw a straight line from that stuff to a band like Touche Amore for sure. Um, I mean, the fuck, the first time I saw Touche Amore was by accident um, when I rolled up to Detroit to see uh, Converge, Coalesce, and Black Breath, and Touche Amore was opening the tour, and I'd never heard him before, and I immediately was like, whoa, this band fucking rips. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, there. I, I think you could jump in, save maybe like the more... Uh, early to mid 90s metallic hardcore end of their catalog you could jump into converges discography pretty much anywhere and i think you could find a lot of things that you would immediately identify as familiar to you hmm. but if i was going to pick like one track that i think an emo kid would latch onto, uh especially from a lyrical perspective it'd probably be the opening of uh one forever comes crashing my unset everything <laughs> yeah i could see that i could see that for sure i mean also like the fucking magnum opus that is the title track of Jane Doe. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's if you if you have eleven and a half minutes to to spend, it's uh, as a person who is a loud proponent of brevity in songwriting. You know, if I'm going to bat for an eleven and a half minute long song, uh, you, you know, there's there's something to it. I would highly recommend checking that out. Yeah, and that song is also a bridge to like uh, hardcore descended post metal like ISIS or totally. Uh, pelican who are like heavy apple seed cast basically yeah 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 for sure man you know it's just like talking about all these bands with like someone who's similarly nerdy about this stuff it's just it really highlights the fact that i i, I think what should be the sort of what you if you glean anything from listening to this episode it's that truly all of these things are kissing cousins and there are a, there are through lines that connect all of these as insular and separate as you might think these communities are just based on social interaction that you view passively on twitter and things like that they're really broadly speaking all under the same umbrella and i assure you if you play converge and Sasha for your coworker at Wendy's they're not they, they they will they wouldn't even know they were a different band yeah yes for so sure. for, for for all that separates us there's there's more that unifies us um but your your broader question about like heavy bands though that that emo kids might get into I mean regardless of converge uh you know or converge notwithstanding rather I think a lot of them are bands that have been brought up you know, throughout the course of the show, you you've mentioned Vivane a couple times, which I think is a good jumping in point for bands. Sonically, not really my shit, but an incredibly good band at what they do. You mentioned like uh, See You Space Cowboy, again, not my shit, but undeniably a good band. Or you have a band like Wrist Meets Razor or something like that. Largely, these are bands that are not representative of my taste in the least bit, but I understand their appeal. Uh, as sort of gateway bands to get into heavier music. And they have an element of, they, they retain an element of the sort of like haircut hardcore of the early 2000s, like the Ellie earlier mentioned, like Ferret Records and Trustkill. Um, so they retain that, that same energy that 18 Visions, bands like 18 Visions brought to the table, which I think can be appealing for a casual fan of the genre. Um, but they still do have an element of heaviness that I think when followed to its logical conclusion could potentially leave, lead a kid to cold as life. You know, you could, you could, yes. you could get there uh, conceivably fairly easily if you just keep following that path. 
Uh, Cold as Life are so fucking good. Like they, they holy are. Shit. They are uh, so good and a really interesting band in terms of just their their history. Yeah, they went from like more oi influenced stuff to like maximum Detroit dance floor justice. Right. Exactly. Um, I think Nails. Yeah, uh, I was gonna accessible. bring them up. Yeah. Uh, also, like f- even fucking Hatebreed, like Perseverance, yeah. wipe the tears from my eyes. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't mention Hatebreed uh, earlier when we were talking about sad, sad hardcore because there is such a a strong uh, self-motivational sort of tip that Hatebreed's lyrics tend to gravitate towards, but there is also a lot of, like, I hate myself, how did I get here? In there. Uh, so so Hatebreed, yeah, Hatebreed might be a good a good spot to jump in if you're looking for something both heavy and uh, lyrically reminiscent of maybe something that, you know, you already enjoy. Yeah, I think probably, like, the single most, like, emo Hatebreed song is uh, Defeatist from Supremacy. For sure, and I would also say uh, supremacy is is the last Hatebreed record worth listening to. And this is a, this is a man with literally a, not only a Hatebreed face tattoo, but Hatebreed hand tattoos. Um, and and even I only ride for Hatebreed up to a certain record. So yes, um, I have nowhere um, to like to like put this in, but like, what about a band like Every Time I Die? I'm not saying that they're a heavy hardcore band, but like they seem like an outlier of hardcore but also like just one of the most accessible heavy band in general yeah this might be a slam to my cred but like every time i die is actually one of my favorite bands of all time keith actually does have like uh, a heavily emotive and even like insightful element to his lyrical style um probably because he's actually like a genuinely good writer yeah um but like listening to fucking like pornography uh from uh, hot damn or especially like low teens which is like a very emotionally heavy record um i think there is like a lot like lyrically to to glean from every time i die for an emo pan emo fan yeah <laughs> yeah i i this they're a band that's never been particularly appealing to me but whose obvious talent i recognize and respect and i certainly laud them for uh sort of raising the hardcore banner high in terms of like taking out ba- hardcore bands and support slots and just being you know i guess they're they're an excellent entry point for somebody who is maybe not ready to jump into hardcore feet first but is interested in heavier or more aggressive music um I will say my first impression of every time I die when I was a kid, I was already very into Drive Like Jehu, and I heard a song off of probably Hot Damn, I want to say, and I was like, yo, they ripped off the fucking riff from Adam Jack. Yes. Um, <laughs> and and that was like interesting to me as a 14-year-old because I was like, what the fuck? That's so weird. You know, especially at that time, again, this is in the nascency of social media. So, and I'm a fucking 14 year old kid in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So I think I'm the only person who knows about Drive Like Jehu. Um, so that was sonically interesting to me. But then after that, it, it never did much for me. But yes, I, I think they uh, they should get due recognition as a as an excellent band in terms of bridging the gap between more mainstream music and heavier music. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. There's like that whole world of like the chariot and stuff like that that doesn't belong in hardcore it's it's basically just metal core adjacent but like i know a lot of kids that are presently into emo that but like 
the chariot and norma jean are like what they would call their hardcore past right yeah and i mean if those i i mean if you're talking about the legacy of early aughts christian metalcore those are certainly the heights the heights of the genre right there i mean that's 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 about as good as it gets um i think that early norma jean and chariot stuff is is pretty pretty competent botch worship and um there's nothing innately embarrassing about liking those bands as an adult uh which cannot be said for most of their most of the bands within that scene so <laughs> if you like norma jean and the chariot you know no shade those are those are pretty good gateway bands but i guess yeah i would just encourage you if you like bands um if you like if you like a band like the chariot then it's really not it's not a great leap to jump back into botch and dead guy and stuff like that and i think that would open the door to a lot um a lot of stuff that you would probably enjoy quite a lot that doesn't have weird christian undercurrents <laughs> yeah it, it, it's like just kind of like alarming to me how like important like the chariot dance gavin dance are to like some people that listen to emo presently because like it just like compl- like that should just 100 missed me i'm i'm really glad to hear that dance gavin dance missed you because that is bona fide clown music <laughs> uh the thing that's weird about dance gavin dance is that uh they have like screamo bona fides like <laughs> Our homies with like Alex Bigman and uh, rep like Blood Brothers and Orchid. Um, yeah, da- the the dance Gavin dance worship is weird to me, uh, especially because like their fan base is so aggressively pro dance Gavin dance, anti anything that is not like affiliated with Will Swan, um, and I think it's a bad move to even mention them. <laughs> because we will we will get punished in in the replies. Well, hey, yo, don't 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 come don't come for the e word. Come for me. I'm I'm just saying right now. Dance, Gavin, dance is music for ex marching band kids. Uh, and I I actually do like some of like the stuff that probably would have been seen as contemporary to dance, Gavin, dance. Uh, like. I'm sorry, Gray, because I know you think this band is like actual like Yo Gabba Gabba music, but I like Circus Survive. Oh. <laughs> I don't even Ugh. like that band. Yeah, I like Seos like and I like Audience of One. I'm like a Anthony Green fan, but that that stuff is like definitely not heavy, much no. more moodily. Um, and it's unfortunate because at the drive-in was such a good band, but you can lay the blame directly at their feet for that style of music. You, you can for sure. I will, I will say that I can't say really anything positive about being on warp tour, but the one thing that it taught me is that I sort of the point that I tried to drive home earlier and that we have so much more in common than, than we do anything else uh, because I kind of became friendly with uh, so many bands that in high school, I, vocally lambasted to anybody who would listen i think the specific instance is that i i ended up for a brief moment i almost joined census fail as a touring guitarist which was an incredible full circle moment because in high school there was like a local sort of singy metalcore band that i thought really sucked and i told they were about to have like their first show and uh, I had heard their demo and I thought it was awful. And I was like a dyed in the wool, like street punk kid. And I told everybody to not go to the show because they were just a census fail cover band. And that census <laughs> and that census fail was one of the worst bands ever. So why would you want to see high schoolers trying to play uh, census fail covers? And they got really mad at me and wanted to fight me. And then 
uh, via via going on warp tour I became like you know friends friends with buddy and like friends with with people from fucking Silverstein and shit and bands that I legitimately actively hated and talked shit about but you get to know these people and you find out they're they're all wearing the same floor punch shirt that you are they just kind <laughs> yeah. of yeah they just took a they just took a different and uh and a wiser and more lucrative path yeah Silverstein has covered Orchid and Lifetime um and I will say, shout out to Census Fail, because every time I've seen them, they end their set with uh, a cover of Death Before Dishonor. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is, yeah, which is pr- pretty, pretty fucking sick. Yeah. Uh, but, like, I guess, are there any other shout outs for just, like, ignorant heavy shit? Ignorant heavy shit. Ignorant heavy shit. Um, okay, because I don't, I was gonna, I was gonna talk about 18 Visions, as I always do, but they're slightly less ignorant except for some of their lyrics like if you don't yeah. want to ride the rocket then get the fuck off <laughs> yeah i was gonna say they're they're ignorant just in a very different way yeah probably my my favorite just like knuckle dragging hardcore band is uh three knee deep um <laughs> which i i was gonna talk about later but like i remember like because bands with like low vocals in hardcore like they need to work a little bit harder to get me into them but i was into three knee deep from the get-go because uh their their logo is like some of like the slickest graph work i've seen like in the modern hardcore scene period if you're into like hand style like just check out their logo and reproduce it everywhere uh you know i'm not i wouldn't say i'm the wrong person to ask for this because i do i do like plenty of stuff that falls in this realm but probably less than what is presently popular at, in, in the hardcore scene at large um a lot of knuckle dragging ignorant music is making a bit of a comeback right now and uh frankly it's not most of it's not for me i do like some some greats of the genre um but it's like it's like with a wink and a nudge it's it's i like them with the full understanding that they are undeniably stupid um for me it's the the key element of enjoying this stuff is not taking it seriously so you know i love a band like irate for example Mm, um or or even like everybody gets hurt or back of the neck and that sort of east coast scene of like mid to late 90s weird mosh crew music but you need to keep in mind that it's it's not only okay to, but essential to the enjoyment of the music to laugh at that shit, right? You you have to laugh at Fury of Five while you listen to it, or you're missing a core element of what makes it so great. You know, you like I love the first Biohazard record, but like it's also fucking hilarious. It's undeniably funny. Yeah, so see also uh, Scarhead. Yeah, sh- sure, <laughs> sure, right, exactly. Or 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 even a band like Stout or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, there and then there's some some of that stuff that I enjoy more just in earnest. Like we already mentioned, Cold as Life, I think is genuinely like a legendary band. Um, I also think another underrated Detroit area b- band from the same uh, era, Earth Mover, is very yes. very worth checking into. I was going to talk about Earth Mover. Um, also, like if you want to like get your feet wet with beat down, like you could do a lot worse than Bulldoze, Next Step Up, and Grimlock. I, I was I was just about to mention next step up. Yes, exactly. Um, Bulldoze for sure. Bulldoze, you know, are are often cited as the godfathers of beatdown hardcore, and that's largely true. But sonically, they're really just.
just a heavy hardcore band. They don't have a whole lot of hallmarks of the genre that would later become more pronounced once you got bands like Dying Fetus influencing the genre. Actually, Dying Fetus covered the next step up. So there's a lot of crossover between sort of like slamming death metal and beat down hard contemporary beat down hardcore and a lot of that stuff I don't really like but there there are a few a few gems and like I said um, you know bands like the next step up I think are 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 well worth checking out if you're interested in heavy ignorant hardcore but yeah. I will I will not begrudge you if you're not interested in it because again there's there's a lot of there's a high laughability factor in that stuff. Also, shout out to like that northeast like just ignorant death metal scene like uh, Pyrexia's Hatred, Anger, and Disgust EP is very good. It's basically like proto beatdown but with like more straightforward hardcore vocals, even though they. Mm-hmm were like a death metal band yeah for sure and and i will say as as far as ignorant music goes i straight up even though i have like a, a general distaste for a lot of beat down hardcore i absolutely love slam on any given day you will catch me <laughs> listening to, to like cephalotripsy and, and shit like that uh great did you ever read stuff you will hate uh yeah i did yeah okay yeah finn finn's been the homie for like 10 years now uh but de- it's definitely his fault that i even like give a passing listen to slam <laughs> well didn't didn't he do the feature that it was wasn't it uh Cre- uh Creation's dj yes that that dude was is really into slam and he did like i think he did two blog blog posts on stuff you will hate that were like it, like the guide to slam <laughs> yes uh his name is dj two stacks shout out yeah yep, dj two stacks that's right yep um, R.I.P. Stuff You Will Hate. I can't believe that like there's literally no way to read it anymore. Um, Jesus, but, really? Yes. Uh, the only way you can read it is like if you have like a Feedly account, uh, you can read like back to like 2013, which isn't even like the glory days of the blog. Um, and there's a couple articles saved on archive.is, but Finn took it down and like excluded the URL from the Wayback Machine, I think because he made a lot of like sketchy jokes um yeah, which were yeah. Ob- yeah obviously we're supposed to be like taken like tongue-in-cheek but definitely like in today's uh internet culture uh people are less receptive to irony unless it's like a like a deep fried meme right yeah. y- yes yeah. exactly yeah and and i mean the man the man now has a burgeoning media empire to maintain so i imagine he doesn't want anybody to be able to draw a straight line from him to uh incriminating blog posts also shout out like the roots of stuff you'll hate like hipster runoff and something awful yeah for Um, sure yes early early just the the back alleys of early internet blogosphere culture that i very much frequented when i was in high school yeah same that stuff like informs so much of my writing style and my sense of humor now oh totally Um, it's it's weird because like stuff that was like very clearly like satirizing shitty attitudes is now like without the benefit of context uh just seen as like a reproduction of shitty attitudes uh which is unfortunate yeah well i mean uh i don't yeah we we will definitely not delve into a deeper discussion about this but decontextualizing everything is sort of the the order of the day i as i view my peers interacting on the internet i find that becoming less and less the case and i think uh I think the pendulum is probably swinging back the other way, and hopefully we'll settle somewhere comfortably in the middle, more reasonable area soon. Before we get into the last question, are we missing anything? Like, I'm, I'm sure we are, but like, are there any other weird corners of hardcore that we should shine some light on? I mean, this is a thing you could write a thesis paper on. For you sure. know what I mean? Yeah. So, 
So as far as what we are reasonably able to cover in the scope of a single episode of a podcast, you know, I think we've we've done a pretty good job of being as comprehensive as three people could hope to be. Yeah, I was trying to find a way to fit in something like, you know, fucked up who is beyond hard hardcore. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like at this point, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, they've they've definitely superseded hardcore at this juncture. Yeah, them and like self defense family. Oh, I think self-defense family is super, super accessible to emo yeah. sonically. Um, yeah, I think the end only of the thing, year even more so. Yeah, yeah right, yeah. exactly. Um, no, I think they're super accessible. The, the only thing that doesn't make them accessible is that Pat is like an incredibly polarizing figure, you yeah. know, for 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 dumb reasons because he really shouldn't be. The man doesn't really say anything out too too terribly outlandish, um, but you know, that is what it is. Yeah, self-defense family's blog uh, on Tumblr is actually like some of the best writing I've ever read in my life. Um, oh, dude, it's it's god tier. Yeah, just very insightful, empathetic, but also like irreverent and charming, and pretty much all the energy. If you like uh, like the lyrics of Drug Church or Self-Defense Family, then like reading that blog is just like an endless dose of it. Yeah, for sure. Hell yeah, are we are we heading into the home stretch here? I think so. Which is what present contemporary hardcore bands will a Trinkle Dork like. Um, I think Turnstile is extremely catchy. There's mosh parts as well as just sing-alongs. I don't know. It's it's just extremely appealing. Um, Knocked Loose and Inclination, I think, just are just good sounding, like very well-recorded hardcore music. Knocked Loose, I think. I mean, their earlier stuff is, I think, easy to get into. Jesus Peace, Heavy, Candy incendiary i think are just like they're rage against the machine but hardcore um and then tsunami i think is if there's any like ignorant contemporary hardcore band i think just tsunami is just like a fun band to get into and just follow on social media yes i we we've talked about one step closer a whole bunch but i just would be very surprised if kids who uh like got into turning point through adventures covering turning point i would be very surprised if they did not dig one step closer like Mm -hmm. or anxious that's just that that's just like modern day title fight to me not not in like the sense that they sound a whole bunch like title fight anxious does kind of but uh in the sense that like i can see pop punk kids just writing super hard for them there's a lot of like more accessible but still up and coming stuff uh initiate i think have like some of my favorite vocals in the game right now uh dare no option mortality rate uh if you're into like slightly more hip-hop influenced stuff then uh jocko is is a real good band and then i think i i genuinely think that if uh if kids watch these bands live on like hate five six then it's much easier to get into them but the dancey heavy shit drain gulch three knee deep never ending game yeah, so I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go a different direction with this stuff. Um, I I kind of I more or less agree with most of your assertions here. Um, throughout the podcast, we've mentioned a lot of the bands that were just brought up right now, um, and I think all of them, depending upon your proclivities, could be good jumping in points if you like stuff that, if you like emo that. I'm trying to think of the best way to articulate this. So if the thing that appeals to you about emo is sort of like tight songwriting and pop sensibilities and catchy melodies and things of that nature, you might find a lot of things to love in a lot of the bands that were just listed. But if the things that you like about emo are the less accessible elements, I think that maybe 
you could potentially land on the weirder corners of the contemporary punk and hardcore scene, like what would broadly be classified as like egg punk, <laughs> I, I think could potentially appeal to you a lot. Um, you know, I, I think, and you have sort of like the, you have a few bands that cross over more into mainstream hardcore spaces like Bib and Gag. Um, but I, I could see those bands potentially being super appealing, uh, to, to emo kids just because they come with all the aggression of hardcore with way less of the bravado, but no less of the sort of, uh, the performative aspect that makes the live experience so fun and engaging. And then musically they're doing something that even though it's no more akin to emo than something like never ending game is, there might just be, it might feel a little bit more sonically accessible in the sense that it's a little bit left to center. Um, and then, you know, that could lead you to like lumpy and the dumpers and the lumpy records catalog. Um, or like the Hattiesburg, Mississippi scene, a band like Judy and the Jerks, um, who would definitely classify themselves as a hardcore band, has a lot more in common with uh, with bands that you might see in your local DIY basement scene than something like Inclination, for example, um, or even bands like Laughing Gas or Matrix. Uh, the whole NWI scene that's kind of led up by Mark Winter, DLIMC, Coneheads, CCTV, all of these bands, um, Eric Nervous. I think that there's a lot there in that sort of hardcore adjacent punk world that could act as a bridge to maybe get you into the genre in a, in a more broad sense. And I mean, a lot of those bands are are, are some of my favorite contemporary bands period so uh those are good shouts uh i personally didn't mention them because i don't really like a lot of that stuff i just a word of warning i think like socially there there's a bit of a similar vibe to like the mysterious guy hardcore mm-hmm. type of attitude um where like if you don't have like some obscure 1983 uh boston hardcore seven inch like you're a poser i think that that's like a, a viable warning but musically, For sure. yeah, musically, yeah, definitely get into it. Especially if you like, uh, like Devo core bands like Lurk, you right? Know, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, no, yeah, that that is a that is a uh, a, a well deserved warning. Do not talk to these people under any circumstances. <laughs> they're, uh, they're they're awful. They think wearing their dad's jeans and big glasses uh, somehow makes them different from average run of the mill hardcore kids, but yeah. in fact, it just makes them even more intolerable. I mean, one of the bands that I mentioned, I, I have a an actual beef with one of the members in the bands. Um, they're just a really good band, so I, I had I had to throw them in there. But um, but yeah, though no, they're they're if awful. They're, people, and it's an impenetrable scene socially. So. Yeah, uh, you just have to separate the art from the artist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in this situation. You, you, if you're listening to sort of like egg punk, Devo core, college punk, you, you have to do a big separate the art from the artist, uh, because most of them are intolerable people who you would never want to have a conversation with. So how did we do here? You think we did well? Uh, yeah, I think we did really fucking good. Cool. Uh, cool. One of my favorite episodes of recent memory. Gray, thank you so much for coming on. Like, Yo, thank you. Thank you all for having me on here. It's seriously, it's been a pleasure. Like I yeah. said before, you know, I, I truly relish the opportunity to just nerd out about the minutia of subgenre and stuff like this. I have, I've long speculated that, uh, 
that I am neurodivergent in some sense. My my brain works in very weird ways, and I get uh, deeply obsessive about um, about this kind of stuff. So I mean, it's it's literally consumed my life. I would consider, you know, I, I would consider my uh, lifelong pursuit of just collecting the detritus associated with a life of punk rock and and turning it into trophies to be some sort of uh, clinical compulsion at this point it's really not a hobby so this is almost uh, like a, this is almost like a therapy <laughs> session for me <laughs> as it tur- as it turns out i think we ended up being like on the same wavelength for the vast majority of it um and i've actually been wanting to get you on for a while there's been an episode that i've been wanting to do it still might happen in the future where i have you on as well as eric from heart attack man and we just do like an entire episode of hot takes oh yeah baby eric and i are already homies and if if you saw our private texts uh the hot take there are just hot takes galore baby fuck yes if you if you Um, think eric's spicy on the internet wait wait till you get to know him irl he's so fucking sick um he's the man yeah, so I think this might be the episode where I have to edit the least, which is yeah, which is amazing because everyone was just so ar- articulate and there weren't as many things that were just like okay, we have to immediately cut that. Um, um, I I will also say, yo, it's commendable to to both of y'all for um for braving the potential the potential backlash uh, and inviting the ire of the Twinkle Dork emo community by having me on because I will say that is. That is probably as far as just a broad demographic of people that uh, hold me in deep contempt. I think that's probably the one. <laughs> yeah, um, this has been like less of a trend lately. But if you follow the E-word on Twitter, uh, most of most of the posts are just like me, like trying to make Twinkle kids mad, like, <laughs> and it works perfectly. Um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, do we want to do like final shoutouts, or should yeah. we just? fade out here all right um all right uh follow the e-word podcast at the e-word pod or no it's the at the e-word podcast on twitter jesus christ follow me on twitter at you don't need maps uh check out my newsletter you don't need maps.substack.com um and we've got some fucking dope episodes in the pipeline uh we got an episode with a very very heavily requested band during the decade under the influence series uh and we're doing an upcoming episode along these lines called The Twinkle Door Guide to Hip Hop with uh, Megan from Foxtails, which I'm very excited about as well. Yeah, that sounds incredibly sick. I'll actually probably have to tune into that because I, I, too, am a, a massive hip hop fan. Um, as far as far as any personal uh, personal plugs, you know, like I said, uh, if you if you like music, you might like the Kill Surf City record that I just dropped. So you can check that out at blindragerecords.bandcamp.com. Um, as far as following me on social media, I wouldn't advise it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, if you want to hear any of, uh, any of my other seven bands, you can, uh, you can find links to those. If you explore my Instagram or Twitter, I post about them every so often. Um, for those who do enjoy, uh, twinkly emo, I've got a record coming down the pipeline pretty soon, uh, under the moniker terminal crush. That is a solo effort that draws, um, a lot of sonic influence from the slow core stuff of the nineties. Um, there's a lot of low, low influence in there. A lot of red house painters, Pedro, the lion, stuff like that. And I think that's coming out on really rad records. Uh, sometimes this, sometime this summer, I think. Um, 
So yeah, if you do want updates on music and stuff, I post a way less hot takes on the internet than I used to, and it it will mostly be utilized uh, to to post links to records that I'm releasing and podcasts that I'm doing and stuff like that. So follow at your own risk, but uh, you can find me at Gray X Gordon on uh, on all the sites. All right, thank you, Gray. Yep, thank you guys again for.